You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast. My name is Phil Vestal. And I am Erin Vestal. And we are so glad to have you here with us today where we talk about and discover how to make space for the Holy Spirit in our lives. In today's episode, Erin has no idea what we're going to talk about. It's true. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> so usually we have some sort of, um, you know, like a topic we're going to discuss. We a do plan. Our, yeah, we do our research. If it's part of one of our series or even in a one-off, we have a plan. We um, sometimes have an outline. Sometimes we don't. We just kind of have a direction we're going to go. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be fun today to just start talking about something that has impacted me lately, kind of a revelation that... You know, when something happens so many times or in so many people's lives, it hits you and you start to see kind of a thread or a trend mm. or something, right? Yeah. And one hit me and I thought we should talk about this. And it is how good prison can be for people. Okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Not probably what someone would expect. I didn't think, nope, didn't see that one coming actually. So, so I love biographies. Um, I think there's something really to that Hebrews passage about the cloud of witnesses and the idea... Before we go on, do we need to talk about... We haven't actually been in prison ourselves. No. Okay. Just in case Neither that was important, us. do we need to say No that? marital <laughs> secrets revealed here. No, okay. no prison sentence. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Cloud of witnesses. Take yes. it away. <laughs> so, no, you know, it, it, it's just this list of people and how they lived out their faith. And Hebrews then mm. says, you know, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's run the race set before us, right? So I think there's really something to learning from others. This is yeah. secular and religious wisdom says that mentors are important, that mm. learning from those who came before is key. So, And since I don't know where we're going, I feel yeah. like we I can throw this in there that with the cloud of witnesses, I love that they are a list of very imperfect people. Yeah. And I, I just really appreciate that God gave me a set of people from the Bible to look to as inspiration. And none of them say I have to be the perfect <laughs> wife, mother, daughter, person, any of that. Um, don't know if that's relevant, but no, well, that's very true because some of the people I have been reading about were definitely not perfect people. There's a reason they ended up in prison. Some of them were in prison unjustly, but some of them really landed in prison for a reason. Mm. And so I've kind of seen though, that as I've studied these people, so many of them who chose to see this time of suffering as a almost crucible, a time to become shaped, to make mm -hmm. space within this terrible experience, came out so changed mm -hmm. that their entire life was then, sometimes, in, in some of these cases, the history of our world was mm -hmm. changed because of how they handled immense suffering mm. in prison, whether they deserve to be there or not. Mm. And so the, the one that where it finally kind of the, the, the one that sort of, kind of really spoke to me after hearing all of them and sort of hit me, oh my goodness, this is so common, was Charles Coulson. And Charles Coulson, depending on how old you are, you maybe know who Charles Coulson is or you don't. But he was one of the main people that was a part of the President Nixon administration in the United States. So President Richard Nixon, as many know, ended up going through Watergate. 
and Charles Colson was one of his like right hand men. He was a ruthless guy who was very smart and would do anything to kind of get ahead. His life was based on just doing whatever Richard Nixon needed, right, to gain power, to gain influence. And because of this, he did some illegal things. And and he ended up getting fired by the Nixon administration. And then when Watergate happened, they went after Colson as part of that investigation. Okay. okay? So as this is happening, Charles Colson comes to know Christ. So he didn't know Christ before. No, no, okay. he he didn't he had nothing to do with it. I mean, he was a messed up guy. Okay. And now he comes to know Christ, but now he's on trial for this illegal stuff that he had done. And he still I, he, he's passed away, but I believe he actually maintained that the thing he went to prison for is not actually something he did, even though he did a lot of other stuff. But anyway, he becomes a believer, right? And he ends up going to prison. And for this, for this scandal, for all this crazy stuff that happened in the U.S. government. And in prison, he's now a believer, right? So yeah. he is going to engage this in a kind of different way. But you could probably think as a believer... One, I think there's a lesson there in that just because you become a believer doesn't mean there aren't consequences mm. to things that you might have previously done. And unfortunately for him, this consequences he ends up in prison. Right. And at one point, I was reading uh, this story written by Eric Metaxas. He was writing about Charles Colson. And he says there was this period of time where he lost his law license. He f comes to find out that his son is having trouble with the law. I believe it was drug related. There was oh, some wow. sort of issue. And he's in prison. So one, he lost his license when he, he knows he's going to get out. This wasn't like a life term. But it's like, what's he going to do? Second, now his family's in trouble. And he feels this terrible burden, I would imagine, that he can't be with his son, who now might be going to prison himself or facing something. Yeah, that's got to have been awful. It was. And then and then there was po the possibility that that he could be released early. But the judge then decided, no, I'm not going to let you go. Oh, wow. And so he all of a sudden is in this burdened spot where you could almost see him saying, God, what, you know, why? What good am I to you in prison, mm -hmm. God? Like, I'm a believer. I've turned my life over. I want to change. My family needs me. There's things I could be doing. But here I am stuck in prison. And what's amazing is, is when all that happened, he sort of turned it over to mm -hmm. God, is my understanding. Okay. And all of a sudden, the judge changes their opinion and lets him out of prison. But during his time there, he started to really empathize with these other prisoners, people who had families who were outside of prison, people who were losing hope because they might be in there for life or they're in there for a really long time. And when they get out, they don't have any prospects. Yeah. Families leaving them and maybe hating them. They are seen as the worst of the worst in society. And while he's there now as a Christian, he's starting to see it different, okay. right? And he's starting to say, these people aren't like animals to just be left out on their own, but are human beings. Maybe they right. made a mistake or maybe they're there unjustly. And he starts empathizing with them. He starts understanding them. And as soon as he basically says to God, okay, I'm going to use this time for something else, God gets him out and then gives him a vision about starting a prison ministry, right? Where prisoners leave prison to be trained in the gospel, then go back into prison to love and serve the others in the prison. And he starts this ministry that ended up defining the rest of his life for I believe like 40 years. Wow. He does this prayer ministry. 
But what stuck with me in the story is Charles Colson in prison could have just been a believer in the sense of, I know Jesus died and resurrected. Well, especially since he was a new believer. He was new to the faith. Right. It could have caused him to question, to doubt, to become very embittered. God, how could you do this to me? What is the purpose of my life? What am I going to do? But instead, he started to say, wait a minute, there's an opportunity here in Mm -hmm. prison. An opportunity to love these others, to get to know them, to understand them, to be empathetic with them, to share the good news with them. And then God is like, okay, now I'm going to do something with you. Mm. And he ends up starting his prison ministry where he's able to connect with men, connect with women. I believe they are all over the world now, this prison ministry that he started. And this time in prison, he used it as a time to be shaped Mm. and with intentionality to grow in God. And that reminded me then of Nelson Mandela, because I'm reading a book with the Dalai Lama and the Desmond Tutu are having this discussion, and it's called The Book of Joy. And there's this amazing story. So I'm going to switch stories now because it's a very, I want to kind of show the very similar trend. So the the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who's from South Africa, he was a major um, sort of influencer in overcoming apartheid in South Africa. And Nelson Mandela, as you know, went to jail and he was in jail for 27 years and then became the first black president of South Africa. And Desmond Tutu, in this in the Book of Joy, he says, Nelson Mandela, when he went to prison, was a very angry young man or youngish man. He was the commander in chief of the military wing of the ANC, which was kind of that, that anti-apartheid movement. But it seems like they used violence in part of what they did. Okay. Um, he believed firmly that the enemy had to be decimated. And he and his comrades had been found guilty in a travesty of justice. So he went in aggressive and angry. And he goes to Robben Island. And the, and the book says he was mistreated as most of them were there. Um, they were educated people, yet they were made to go dig in the quarry. They wore very inadequate clothing. Um, they only wore shorts even in winter it was this very difficult time and even if you go to prison that sort of treatment is unjust no matter what because no one deserves that but it's really interesting because on on page 153 it says it must have frustrated him to no end made him very angry god was good and said you're going to stay here 27 years And after those 27 years, he emerges on the other side as someone of immense uh, magnanimity because in an extraordinary way, his suffering helped to grow him. Where they thought it was going to break him, it helped him. It helped him to see the point of of view of the other. 27 years later, he comes out kind, caring, ready to trust his erstwhile enemy. So see, Nelson Mandela could have gone into prison been treated unjustly and said, God, what is the point here? Mm. What am I doing here? These people are so horrible. When I get out, I'm just going to kill them. I'm going to continue doing what I was doing. I hate them, whatever. But instead, those 27 years became a time that shaped him into a man he never would have been had he not gone into prison. That's the amazing thing to me. Would Nelson Mandela ever become this leader that now is this famous leader for justice that had he not gone through that. And that's not to say God caused it, but it's to say in that immense suffering, a blessing actually came out of it. Something good actually was able to come out of it. And there's so many stories even in World War II like this, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a spy. You know, he was a very famous theologian now, ran an illegal seminary. He spied for the Allies, ended up in prison, and was killed in prison. 
before, before they were freed. Right? right before the camp was freed. But he was a pastor to men and women in the prison. He wrote letters. He wrote while he was in prison. And that has now shaped the world in a way where Bonhoeffer could have just given up. He could have just said, what am I doing here? I was doing so much more for God out there. Why am I in here? But instead, that time of suffering, that time in prison shaped him in a certain way. And so while I joke about prison being a good thing, what I actually think is is underneath it is that suffering actually holds in it the opportunity for growth that may not exist without that suffering. And it's going to depend on how do we engage it. I mean, people say you either get uh, bitter or better, right? I've mm-hmm. heard people say in suffering. Sure. And for so many of these these people that I've come to respect, and, and so many of them, brothers and sisters in Christ, these moments of suffering, especially in prison, shaped them to become the very people we respected because they allowed it to be a time where they grew. They made space. Mm-hmm to become someone new. Mm. Which, yeah, which I would say has, you know, been an experience for us and other people we know. Uh, Speaking of World War II, one of my favorite heroines, you could say, from World War II is Corrie Ten Boom. And if you haven't heard of her, she was a Christian living in Europe. When the Nazis came through, she and her family felt convinced, convicted, that they should help to shelter the Jews in their community so that the Nazis wouldn't end up grabbing them. And they were caught doing that. And so they were sent as well to the concentration camps. And they were inhumane. Anyone who studies the concentration camps can find uh, very few references of kindness or goodness there and a whole lot of references of just cruelty and uh, brutality. So Corrie ten Boom finds herself in one of these concentration camps with her sister Betsy. And oftentimes from history, we know that as people were admitted into the concentration camps, it was quite typical that they were stripped down, their possessions were taken, they were stripped of everything. And somehow, miraculously, Corrie ten Boom manages to smuggle a Bible in through the line. Yeah, she was, I think, one of the only women not checked. It's it's amazing. 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 So she gets into the concentration camp and literally she has her sister Betsy and her Bible and that's it. And she was really struggling inwardly. She shares in in her memoir, The Hiding Place, about just how difficult it was. And she's questioning what purpose God could have in this because she finds herself in the concentration camp because she was helping save other people. Um she was in there she was a christian and yet she got taken for helping the the jewish people which was um i think just really hard for her it caused a lot more struggle so in the midst of this struggling one of the things that she talks about is how to add insult to injury her barracks were infested with fleas like overrun to the point that the Nazi guards wouldn't even come into her barracks because the infestation was so severe. And her sister told her that we need to thank God. And she writes (laughs) about... For the fleas. (laughs) For the fleas. And she writes about just how she didn't want to. She didn't feel like praising God for fleas because... Normal response, I guess. it, It was an additional torment, right? And... Yet they did. She and her sister Betsy prayed and they thanked God for the fleas. And 
So because of the fleas, the soldiers don't come in. Because she wasn't checked, she had a Bible on her. And what happens is that she ends up starting up a Bible study and ministering to women in the midst of this terrible, brutal place of suffering because of all these miracles. That the blessing of the fleas is they were able to hold the Bible studies and the guards wouldn't find them doing it because they weren't going to come in. And so you can see how this ugly, difficult, terrible situation that she found herself in, in this prison of a concentration camp. Um, You know, it was a situation you wouldn't think to praise God for. You wouldn't think to find much to be thankful in. And yet when she and her sister took any scrap of encouragement or anything they could think of to be thankful for and praised God, for those things, even if they couldn't figure out why it would be a blessing and a thing to be praised, um, it, it was transformative for them. Yeah, God used the, some of the worst circumstances in the history of the world and then added fleas on top of it. And they were able to see God at work in that and ended up helping these people. It's so amazing. I mean, that prison experience reminds me of Paul in the book of Philippians. Um, Here he is in in chains for Christ, and you would think he'd be in a similar situation. Yet in the beginning of the book, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's better. So he's like, I would rather die and go be with Christ, which is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. So he's saying, he's like, I'm in prison, and maybe to be with Christ would be better. But God has me staying here, mm-hmm. in prison. I mean, here's one of the people who wrote probably the most books in the, in the entire scripture, and he's in prison. And you could very easily say, well, God, there was probably a better use of Paul's time than to be in prison. But Paul is like, hey, you know what? To die, in my opinion, is gain. I can go be with God, but God is keeping me here. And if God is sustaining him, as we talked about in the, our very first episode of Ruah being the breath, if, if you're breathing, then God is sustaining you. And if God is keeping him alive... He has a purpose for him. And, and maybe that purpose is in prison. And I think that's how Paul comes to say, look, I'm content in everything. Yeah. And he, he even goes on to say, give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah. There's nothing <laughs> at all that you experience that is beyond giving thanks for. And some things are hard and horrible and we need to grieve them and we need mm. to we need to lament them. And, and I don't think God sends every bad thing. That, that to me is very bad theology. But oh, what I absolutely. know for sure is that God can absolutely use everything for his glory. He's I mean, a redemptive God. Absolutely. We'll look at the story of Joseph, right? Where, where he's like, what they meant for evil, God used for good, right? Yeah. And that's how God always does it. But if we're not open to that, we can miss it. Right. Well, and it sounds to me like, like really what you keep coming back to is these people who are role models of the faith, prison shaped them. And obviously... It's not that going to prison is the goal of <laughs> right. being a Christian. Like, go to prison and you're going to suffer and then you can grow further in your faith. Right. It's not that. But but that common thread that there was a time of deep suffering mm-hmm. and trial for them where yeah. it was difficult, where life wasn't easy. And they had to live through that, sustain through that. And by 
continuing to be faithful to God, by continuing to seek him, they were able to then allow him to work in their lives and turn the blessings. Right. Uh, not turn the blessings around, turn turn the circumstances right. around to provide blessings and opportunities. Exactly. That I think if they hadn't kept, continued going with God, that kind of growth um, is stilted. Not that God can't work. Absolutely, God right. can work in all circumstances. He is way bigger than us. But Scripture is full of instances where he really prefers willing hearts. He wants people who want to right. live for him, want to seek him, and then he can use your suffering for good. Yeah, I mean, that's what stood out to me. Colson could have given up, lost his license, can't be with his son. Instead, he's like, I'm going to get closer to these prisoners. I'm going to mm-hmm. understand it. Bonhoeffer could have given up. God, I started this for you, and now I'm in prison. Nelson Mandela could have gotten more angry. But instead, they each said, even if this is a lamentable, difficult circumstance... Which I do believe they probably all would admit to, that it was a difficult circumstance. Nobody is going and saying, oh, this good came because I was in in a difficult circumstance, but it felt fine. No. I'm sure to the core it shook them and it was a trial for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. But they also saw that there was something else. Mm. And they said, I will allow this to shape me to become better. I mean, that's one of the Jocko Willink's things, right? He's a Navy SEAL who now, um, he has a podcast and he wrote a book called um, Extreme Ownership. Mm-hmm. And one of his things is whenever something bad happens, he says good, which might sound really odd, right? But he says, you know, hey, you know what? You didn't get the job you wanted? Good. Now you can grow. Now you can get better. Now you can, you know, try for the next thing. Oh, you got hurt? Good. Now it's an opportunity to to rehab. It's an opportunity to use that time to grow in other ways. It's an opportunity to learn. And so there's a sense in which, hey, you went to prison? Horrible. You know what? Good. Because now it's a way to be shaped in a way you never could have been shaped before. I mean, I'll never forget. I was watching uh, the Tony Robbins Netflix special. I hadn't known much about Tony Robbins <laughs> before, but I watched it. And It was really fascinating because at one point in his talk, he asked people that were there if they were considering, like seriously considering suicide to stand up, which took some amazing vulnerability, right? But Mm -hmm. this one girl stands up and he ends up, he's talking to her and it turns out that she had been through a horrific childhood. She had been essentially, in my understanding, as a part of a cult and some, let's just say some very difficult sexual things had taken place. And she didn't want to live anymore. She didn't know how to deal with all the trauma that she and her family were and going she through. And she had taken on the role of encourager for yeah. her family members. They right. all had escaped. Yep. And they were all falling apart. And she was the one who, you know, in her story it comes out, she was the one who really kept things together, was right. a happy face. And she just felt like she couldn't deal with that anymore. Yeah, underneath there was yeah. so much so much. She pain. was broken. And one of the things, and again... That would probably still take a lifetime of working through that pain. But one of the things Tony Robbins points out is, is like, you have an opportunity to help people, empathize with people, have compassion for people, hear the pain other people are in and join them in that place in a way that someone who's never been through that couldn't. And that isn't to wish that on her. That isn't to say it was good that it happened. It isn't to say, hey, if that happens to you, like, you know... Oh, what a blessing. No, it's horrific. It's terrible. But it can end your life or it can say, I am going to 
enter into this as an opportunity to grow, mm. to see how I can serve in a way. Because Charles Colson could connect with prisoners in a way that maybe I couldn't in the exact same way. And she now has an opportunity to say, you know what, because of that, she has an ability to listen and empathize and understand mm. that is that can be used, invited into something that becomes this amazing blessing. And so I've never been to prison. I certainly hope I would <laughs> never go to prison. However, their stories have invited me to ask of myself, what might I be going through? What I'm, where might I be stuck? Where might I be facing some sort of suffering? And can I see it as an opportunity to be shaped and to grow? You know, sometimes we get stuck in jobs that we don't love. We face trials of all kinds each and every day. Sometimes we have relationships that are very painful and we're not sure where they're going to go. Sometimes we've been hurt and we're not sure how to love again. Sometimes we face an illness and we're not sure if it's going to get better. We're not sure if that good news is going to come. Sometimes we're afraid to open the mailbox because we're not sure if we're going to be able to pay the bills that are in there. We can face immense suffering outside of prison that can feel like a prison where we can feel just as stuck we can look to the heavens and say god i can be better used in other ways but it seems like i'm stuck here why am i going through this and we can become bitter we can become angry we can become frustrated we can hate we can give up or like Charles Coulson and Corey Ten Boom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Paul and Nelson Mandela and so many others, we can say, however much this is worthy of grief, however painful this is, and we, we need to deal with that, right? We never want to just shove that down or ignore that or think it's not important. And we certainly don't want to say it's absolutely from God, as if God causes all bad things. I don't believe that to be true. But we can ask, where is the invitation for me to grow? What can I, through this, gain a better understanding of? How can this shape me? How can this, like working out, be that painful experience that actually builds our muscle, that builds our compassion, that builds our empathy? I mean, Nelson Mandela was in jail for 27 years. Dietrich Bonhoeffer never got out. But they were able to see the opportunity that suffering actually invited for them to grow. An opportunity to better understand how God could shape them in the midst of that. I mean, I think that's what Romans means when Paul says that God works together the good for those who, who love him. That God doesn't always cause it, but good can come from it. Growth can come from it. And so I don't know what your prison experience might be in the past, in the present. Maybe right now, as you're listening to this, you have a knot in your chest because of a, of a situation that you're stuck in, because of a situation in life that you didn't plan for. Something where you say, God, I could be being used so much better. Here's my dream. Here's what I want. God, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be stuck in this. I don't want to be having to go through this. This isn't fair. This is unjust. It's not right. And I believe God mourns and grieves with you in that situation. But I also, to the core of my being, believe that there's an invitation there to grow in a way that you couldn't have grown without it. 
a way to love others more than you could have loved without it, a way to trust God deeper than maybe you ever have before. You can come out better. You can come out in a way that leaves a lasting legacy, a way that makes space for the Spirit so that you can better love and serve. And so brothers and sisters, my prayer for you would be whatever you're in, may you know that God is there with you. And may you know that there's an abundant opportunity in the midst of whatever you're going through to say good. I will not allow this to to be my end. I will not let death have the last word because the tomb, the resurrection tomb of Jesus is empty. And that means death never gets the last word, which means that as long as I'm still breathing, God is sustaining my life, has a plan for me, and I will get better through this. I will grow through this and I will love more through this. So brothers and sisters, I pray that for you. And I look forward to seeing the ways that you will bless the world abundantly through wherever it is you might be right now. Grace and peace be with you.